Our reading is from the book of Genesis chapter 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Manaim. And Jacob sent messengers, messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I might do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have, come become, now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with, their, with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of this place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord. Dear God, as you are seated on your throne, we do come and say, blessed are you, worthy of our lives, our praise, our time, and this morning are you that we gather together. We give back to you what you've given to us, and we sit and ask you to teach us and instruct us. What does it mean to live here in this area and seek to be faithful to you? 
in a way that isn't just a part of Sunday morning, but a part of our whole week and our whole lives. So please guide us through all parts of this service in this day, that we would see you face to face. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Okay, let's try one more time. Good morning. It's a little colder. It's a little harder. Those of you who follow the church calendar will be able to note that today is uh, Clergy with Crew Neck Sweaters Sunday. So it's a particular Sunday in the church here. Um, I saw Johnny and Kirk and I show up and I was like, oh gosh. So just next, I'm already committing now. Next week, I'll be in a zip up or a V-neck or something else as a sweater. So you guys can check note for yourself, okay? Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I was out of town last week. It's something that you'll hear about more over the next couple of weeks, but glad to be back with you. Um, many of you know that I've just started October 1st as a regular part of your staff team and said, hey, please send me an email just with a few things. And a lot of you have done that. I asked for just a brief introduction, a way I could pray and a picture if you wanted. So um, if you haven't done that, I'd still love to get them. This I'll probably, let's just say by the end of this week. But if you haven't, no matter your age, it's just Dean at ChristChurchVienna.com. Would love to see and learn more about many of you. Um, one of the things that's striking is as you look around the room, never assume that as you come here, boy, you're the only person who doesn't have it all together or that your family is the only one struggling with something. Because within about the first three emails, it was quite clear that we're all in this together. With all our poverty of spirit, dear God, help us. That's why we gather. So um, thank you for those. I look forward to getting more. Okay, I want you to take a second and think um, about something you are good at, something you're an expert at, that if I, you, I could come to you and say, tell me how to do X, and you'd say, well, I'm really good at this, okay? Could be you're good at building Legos, could be you're good at raking the leaves, could be you're good at doing a spreadsheet, okay? Just think about something you're really good at, okay? And turn to somebody you're next to, even if you don't know them, and say, I'm really good at this, okay? You have 30 seconds, Go. Okay, someone, someone say out loud something they heard someone else say they were good at. So not your thing, but you heard somebody else say they're good at X. We just get a couple things. What, Patrick? Barbecuing, okay. Wait, one more time. Quoting movies. Loving their grandkids. Anybody else good at loving your grandkids? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, we got a good consensus on that one. Good. Other things, building Lego. Sweet, got a lot of Lego champions out there. Love that. How about like baking cookies? Let's get those. Just write your name down. Pass it forward if you're good at baking cookies. That'd be awesome. Sewing. So I just made a list in my head this week as I was working on this sermon. So in this room, I know I could ask people for help. People who are are experts at things like raising kids, or cutting hair, handling finances, photography buying and selling a home. People who are exemplars, right? People we could learn from. Now, what if someone came and asked you and said, oh, my understanding is Christ Church Vienna is your church home. I'm becoming interested in, in Jesus and faith. 
And I know you're going through a book of the Bible called Genesis. And I said, who is somebody, this friend says, who is somebody who's an exemplar of a life with Jesus from Genesis that I could study? Okay, think back through the week since June, the first Sunday in June, we've been in this book. Exemplars, right? Well, there's lots of people, right? Like Abraham and Sarah, Noah, Rebecca, Adam and Eve. People who would be exemplars of a full life with God. And I'm going to call that a hesed life. Hesed is the Hebrew word for something most often translated steadfast love. Your steadfast love and loving kindness is in the Psalms all the time. What's a hesed like with God look like? This is a definition of the word. Relates to a superior who out of kind character meets the need of a covenant partner who cannot help himself or herself. Someone who consistently demonstrates hesed. And hesed is really the underlying promise of the whole book of Genesis, of really the whole Bible. We're going to look at it again in Advent. It's the invitation of Genesis. Come trust God's hesed. He's superior, but he will meet your needs as a covenant partner when you cannot help yourself. This is the same God who's been taking care of Abraham and Sarah and Rebecca and Isaac and Joseph. All these exemplars. And this morning we're looking at Jacob, as Johnny said in the introduction. We're going to look a little bit at Jacob's life and say, what's it look like to see Jacob's life with God? Because Jacob is kind of unique in the Bible. There are not that many people who we have a multi-decade look at their life with God. And we're not going to look at every decade. We're just focusing on chapter 32. But you could. You could see him as a young man and grow into an older man at what it's like for him to engage God in this life of faith. He does some dumb things more than once at more than one age. And yet he remains in covenant relationship and God covers him and holds him fast and helps him grow into a deeper exemplar of what life with him looks like. So if you have a Bible, can turn to Genesis 32. That'd be great. What do we know about Jacob when we arrive at the first verse of chapter 32? What's he been like? What have we learned up till now? So first, he's the second son of Isaac and Rebekah, right? He has a brother. What's his brother's name? Esau, right? And what's unique about he and his brother's relationship? There's lots of unique things. But one in particular, right out of the womb, they are twins, right? Is Jacob the older brother or the younger brother? Younger brother. And he exits the womb, remember, clinging to Esau's heel, clutching literally for recognition in life. And that clinging characterizes him. And so they name him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel, which is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives, which would be important in our chapter. You'd love to ask Isaac and Rebecca how they settled on that name. Doesn't seem like the greatest name in all the baby book, but that's his name, Jacob. He's a twin brother. As they grow up, he and Esau are favored separately by their parents, Jacob by Rebecca, Isaac, Esau by Isaac. Jacob ends up stealing Esau's birthright and his blessing from Isaac. He flees to his uncle. Rebecca sends him there. Remember, his uncle's name is Laban, right? Last week you saw with Matt Hemsley that, that Jacob is willing to use unique things for pillows, right? What did he sleep on? A rock. And he then saw something, right? He saw heaven and angels, heaven's ladder, right? After seeing this ladder, Jacob goes to the city where Laban is 
And he has what I preached on a few weeks ago, a betrothal scene, this type scene. He has a well scene, right? We had the unnamed servant and Rebecca at a well a few chapters ago, and now we have Jacob and Rachel at a well scene. And of course, they fall in love. He serves seven years to get Rachel right, and probably the most romantic line in the entire Bible is in Genesis 29. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That looks great. Sadly, Genesis 29 keeps going. And we find out that Jacob is deceived by his uncle Laban on his wedding night. Right? And he wakes up and he's worked over by Laban over and over and over. Poor Leah is worked over. You could do a lovely sermon. She is a super saint in the Bible. Fully half of the 12 sons that become the tribes of Israel come from Leah. This forgotten woman. She's amazing. But that situation is terrible for her and for Jacob and for Rachel. He stays with Laban and works over and over for 20 years. During that time, he has 11 boys, 11 sons and one daughter. And as our scene dawns, he has just left Laban on his way back to Canaan because God said, return to Canaan. Laban chased him to threaten him. But God appeared to Laban and said, do not touch Jacob. So Laban does, he does this whole clueless, threatening scene in the chapter before chapter 32. But they part. Friends would be a little strong, but they part. And so as our scene dawns, Jacob is on this new threshold. He's got his family. He's got wealth. He's going back to Canaan on the command of God. It's a pretty important part of his life. And yet there's one unresolved question as he returns, right? Because there's one unresolved relationship with who? Esau. Because the last time we saw Esau, what did he want to do to Jacob? He wanted to kill his brother, right? He wanted to kill his brother. So if you're Jacob, you're returning to Canaan and you're feeling a little bit like, I wonder how Esau is feeling. And that's front of his mind. And what God does is, is come down. I love what one commentator says. The narrator opens the vertical dimensions of God's story with Jacob here before we get to the horizontal dimensions. Because if you remember the first verse that was read, this is what it says. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which is two camps in Hebrew. So there's literal angels there that he sees which is pretty cool and overwhelming. But it's an introduction into this chapter. 20 years earlier, Jacob had left Canaan and he'd had angels guiding him there at the rock, his pillow rock. And now as he returns, he meets angels again. This is a Hesed life. This is so great. Look what God does. I can see angels. God's taking care of me. This whole chapter is sort of a guarded spiritual intensive. It's like his spiritual director retreat. It's angels bracket all the chapter. Jacob has interactions with angels both places. And Jacob thought he was just preparing for Esau. Trusting and obeying and he's concerned. And he's going to pray in a second. We're going to look at that. He, he's sending gifts to Esau. You might go back this afternoon and count up how many animals he sends to Esau to to humble himself, to show that he knows he treated Esau terribly, to show how, how sorry he is. It's 550 animals. 
given to his brother. Jacob is preparing for Esau, but first God's going to prepare Jacob for meeting and being with God. So I want to focus on this chapter, just two things that we learn about a Hesed life from Jacob, the exemplar, if he was here. First in this, our Hesed life with God, Jacob would tell us prayer is more important than planning, though planning does matter. But prayer is more important than planning. Commentators again and again touch on in Jacob's life, he's a planner. He's always working some angle to make something happen. But here, as Jacob enters into this camp, camp with angels on the hills and looking at him, he decides he's going to pray. Verses 9 to 12 is the, are the most important verses of Jacob's whole story. It's the climax, many say, of his story. This is the longest prayer in Genesis, the entire book of, of Genesis. It's the first recorded prayer of Jacob. And in it, you see his sense of thanks and humility and his finally an awareness of what really his life has been because he's saying to God, I see that all my life is a gift from you. I crossed over from Canaan to, on my way to my uncle's with only a staff. And now I'm returning with a wife and a second wife and 11 sons and a daughter and all these sheep and goats. I have enough animals I can send to Esau, 550 animals. I can make two camps and separate my family and my possessions out. And the, the sense of him being a schemer and a grasper, he who grabs the heel is suddenly gone. There's a contrast here between the planner and the prayer. And this is a good primer for how to pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel daunted by what you're about to face. You feel like Esau's are coming you this week. This would be a good place to find a graph on how to write a prayer later this afternoon. First, he remembers who God is. O God of Abraham and Isaac. Then he gives thanks. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. That's hesed. That's what the translation is. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. He remembers who God is. He gives thanks. He brings his request. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. This is not grasping Jacob. This is vulnerable Jacob. That he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Because the narrator is doing a great job. Neither you or I or Jacob know what Esau is going to do because he's sending these gifts, right? And they're getting no reply. Esau continues to come with his band of men. It's narrative tension, right? We don't know and neither does Jacob. And then lastly, he asked God to be God. You said, God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's saying to God, be faithful to what you've promised to me to be faithful because I'm following you and I feel exposed. Anybody here relate to that emotion or that experience? I'm following you. And because of my following and obeying, I am exposed. Please, please be faithful 
to who you are. This is the subtext of what we so often read in the Psalms. Please, God, let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. I've trusted you with my work. I've trusted you with my high school homework because I'm trying to get into X college. I've trusted you with the pressures I feel in my relationships. I've trusted you moving here. I've trusted you with my marriage. I've trusted you with my kids. Help me, I'm afraid. Please, God, be God. Keep your word. One commentator has this great line. To ask to keep to his word, the God who keeps his word is the way of all true prayer. To ask to keep to his word, the God who keeps his word is the way of all true prayer. This is what Jacob is doing here. Dear God, be who you say you are. I bet if you're in this room and you follow Jesus for five years and ask you to raise your hand, have you ever felt that and asked God to do that? Everybody would raise their hand. So first, Jacob would say, in a Hesed life, what it looks like is praying under the, prayer, under the umbrella of his Hesed, offering to God, inv- accepting his invitation to call out on him. Because remember, God set up the camp. He has angels right there. It's very clear that God wants Jacob to stop and be with him. Angels are there telling him to do so. And what he does is pray. So first, in your Hesed life, Jacob would say, pray, learn to pray, respond to the invitation of Yahweh. Then the second thing that I want to highlight here is in our Hesed life with God, Jacob would say, then cling to that same God. Cling. This, of course, comes from the second half of our reading, the the wrestling surrender. And I'm using that adjective on on purpose. What kind of surrender? Wrestling surrender. Because Jacob and the angel of God wrestled, it says, all night long. Anybody here ever wrestled just for fun? Like if you're a parent and you wrestled your kids. You ever looked at wrestle matches, like college wrestling matches? Like they're three-minute periods. Three minutes. Let's be conservative. Let's say the angel and Jacob wrestle from midnight to 5 a.m. It's five hours of wrestling. Five hours of wrestling. One, Jacob is strong, right? Jacob is really strong. Two, he's really exhausted at the end. Three, the angel is stronger than Jacob by a lot. So again, if you're a parent, you've wrestled your kids and you know you're containing your power, right? Rather than throwing your three-year-old to the mat, declaring the day over, right? That's what could have happened here. But the angel is letting Jacob wear himself out for a reason. It's unknown to Jacob that he's wrestling with the divine being for most of the night. Anybody ever pray, dear Lord, be close to me? Dear Lord, let me know you're there. That's what's happening here. Does it seem easier for Jacob in this evening that God is close or maybe difficult because wrestling is a pretty clear word, right? They're not on a prayer retreat. Angel didn't bring a, a guitar down. They're wrestling. 
Here's the reality. In a Hesed life, sometimes life may be difficult with God right nearby. It might be more difficult. This is not what Jacob expected. Lord, help me know you're here. Lord, I just prayed this prayer. I'm not worthy at least of all your deeds of steadfast love. God knew that Jacob had to get to the point of utter exhaustion and need to be able to really interact with God through the angel. We've quoted Bruce Waltke a lot during this series. He says this, God's presence does not mean ease of conflict. In fact, it often brings unexpected difficulties. And then here's his second quote. There's a mystery about God's presence that defies human understanding. Humility and God makes himself available to humanity. Jacob's remarkable encounter reminds saints that they too may encounter God in ambiguity, even in apparent hostility, in mystery cloaked with darkness, and in such humility that he restrains himself from dominating their lives. When they stop wrestling with God and start clinging to him, they discover that he has been there for their good to bless them. Again, anyone here ever experienced that? Wrestle with God about something and then stopped and instead clung to him and experienced him suddenly in a new way. I know I have. A prayer you might want to pray this morning when we are headed to communion is, Lord, is there something in my life where I'm wrestling with you and what I should do instead is just cling and ask for your blessing? Maybe God is letting you wrestle because he's actually right there with you. It's not, you're not wrestling because he's far away. It's because he's near and he's letting you wear yourself out until you go, you're right. I don't know the right thing to do. I'm scared of Esau. I want to solve it my own way. Please bless me. This is a quote from Kent Hughes. Certainly, Jacob did not see the wrestling for what it was, a parable of his entire life. Jacob's life has been characterized as a grasping struggle. He had wrestled with his brother, his father, his father-in-law, and now God. What God allows to happen is for Jacob to get where he can no longer wrestle and all he can do is cling to the angel. He's clinging to God. The best analogy biblically is the hemorrhaging woman in Mark who fights her way through the crowd just to grasp hold of Jesus' cloak. There's a desperation and a fatigue since this is the only thing I can do. Then he's renamed and he's blessed. Jacob's whole name has changed. The invitation to tell the angel his name is actually an invitation to confess because to disclose his name now is a self-revelation of his character. What he's saying is, I am a fraud. I am a deceiver. I am always trying to fight feeling supplanted and like I'm not good enough. And if I could just get the next thing, I would be okay. So much so that I cheated my own brother twice to get it. In this scene, in chapter 32, Jacob is finally facing two situations that expose his need in this guarded by God way. He's facing Esau and he's facing the power of the angel. And in that space, he's most available suddenly to receive God's hesed. Please bless me, because I can't even move. And in that moment, God changed his name because he had to. He's a whole new person now. Jacob doesn't make sense anymore. He's no longer a supplanter. He is Israel. 
because he's prevailed, but through weakness, through when he got to the end, not at the beginning. In Genesis 32, you can hear the echoes of our series that we did out on the grass in the summer 2021 about the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God lets Jacob wrestle with him until he gets so poor that he can only cry out, bless me. And God does the same thing to you and me. Dear God, I'm unworthy of your hesed, but I won't let go till you bless me and change me. At that moment, you and I are available for this hesed life in a new way. Jacob is praying for the blessing from helplessness and from weakness rather than conniving to get it. Jacob wants what he's always wanted, the blessing, since he came out of the womb. But there's a shift in how he seeks it. Now he doesn't grasp, deceive, plan. Instead, he prays and he clings. And the sign of receiving that hesed is what? Can Jacob now suddenly take on and tackle the angel? Can he bench 280 pounds 30 times? Can he run an ultra marathon? No, he can limp his way to Esau. But there's a new confidence because he knows God will carry him and protect him with Esau. He's no longer afraid of meeting Esau, even though he's limping. Isn't that amazing? If we ask Jacob, Jacob, how do you experience God's hesed life the most? He'd say by humble, humble prayer and wrestling surrender. And I think if he had spent any time here, let's say he's here for a month, I think he'd say this is probably a hard lesson for where you live in Northern Virginia. Because most of us got here, survive here, succeed here, are shaped here because we are grasping and seeking and working it. How many of you came to D.C. or have stayed here because it says, welcome to Northern Virginia, a place for the poor in spirit? Exactly no one. People come here, as we've talked about before, to get something, right? Because they think it will do something for them. So God may be saying to us this morning, you know, as clever, as astute, as capable as you are, you have believed in me, but you've always manipulated your own life to make your own arrangements. Because like Jacob, you may doubt my hesed for you. You may doubt this vast covenant, steadfast love. But maybe this morning, you're finally facing situations that expose your need, that Esau is coming fast and you don't know what his intentions are. Or you're wrestling something that's clearly way stronger than you. And what Jacob would say is great. In his limping way, you are most available to God's hesed if that's where you are this morning. As we come to pray, I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I wrestling with anything this morning? What would Jacob say to me if I am? Do I feel daunted and afraid of something? The, the prayer is right here. Again, use it this afternoon to write your own. I've been praying this verse 10 all week as I've done this passage because I love this phrase. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. But I'm still, I'm still invited to pray it. 
Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this astounding look at this really interior week or a few days of Jacob and you. That we have his prayer and we have the story of his wrestling and what the angel and he talked about. Lord, I lift up my friends and just so desire that they not leave this room wondering if your hesed is as big for them as it was for Jacob. And there might be Esau's on the horizon that are, they think, defying that hesed. But we haven't been in Genesis as an academic exercise, but rather as a, a desire to be transformed, to be like the men and women we see, to trust you the way they do. And so we ask for your help. And I pray that they can bring before you, even as we pray now and come to communion, their lives and that they would be met in a way they didn't expect this morning. As they offer you their weakness and say, bless us and demonstrate your chesed to us, that we might tell others and sing anew of how grand it is. In your name, amen. Nothing can compare, come let us adore.